2 Corinthians 4, we're just going to read verses 1 to 15. We're going to stop just short of the end of the chapter. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we've renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God, not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Let's pray. Loving Father and Almighty God, we thank you for your word, the Bible. We thank you that it is true. It is trustworthy. We thank you it's good and just. And God, we pray now that you work in our hearts by your Holy Spirit to take away any distractions of mind that we might have and focus on your word given to us now through this letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. Lord, convict us of it in all its truth and help us to live it out in our lives by the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Some years ago, I attended a Christian conference. It's called the National Training Event. Who went, who went to NTE last year? Did you go to NTE? Jordan went. Um, NTE is a, it's put on by the Australian Fellowship of Evangelical Students. It's for uni students who are Christians to go along Uh, be taught the Bible and also be taught how to handle the Bible well so that they might teach others. It goes for five days. It usually has around 1,000 to 1,500 attendees from universities across the country. I was there. It was some time ago. And a 22-year-old woman named Esther Staines was introduced to us on one of the mornings and she was asked to explain her story. She told us she grew up in India where her parents were missionaries. They were also working with people with leprosy uh, to give them medicines and to care for them. Her dad was a doctor. When they had opportunity, they shared the gospel uh, with the people that they cared for as well. She went on to explain to us um, that her father and her two younger brothers were brutally murdered 
by around 50 extremist Hindus one night as they slept in their car. The Hindus hated Christians and while sleeping the vehicle was doused in petrol and set alight and the three of them were killed. Esther went on to explain to us how her and her mother responded to the brutal murder of all the men in their family. And I'm going to come to their response a little bit later. Because I want to look at 2 Corinthians 4 first. And I want to say that they could not respond the way they did without God's word. And it's clear that much of their response was shaped by 2 Corinthians 4. If the staggering and wonderful truths of this passage before you in your hands are not true, then these women could not have responded in the wonderful way that they did. Like Esther, Paul, the Apostle Paul, knows deep suffering and he writes this letter under enormous persecution. He feels weak, he's threatened, but God's love and strength sustain him and fuel his love for the Corinthian church. Paul begins this chapter heartened by the fact that he has this ministry. So we're going to start thinking by thinking about what this ministry is. Um, if you've got a handout, you can follow along. Oh, can I also explain, which I meant to explain earlier, why you've got a prayer letter for Minto Gardens. Uh, this is where Vicky lives now, Minto Gardens. Uh, she lives here and with her, some of her friends and there's a whole bunch of people there, some who trust in Jesus and a whole bunch who don't trust in Jesus. So please pray for uh, Minto Gardens and for Vicky and her friends who are Christians that they might be able to share the gospel uh, with the people that they live with in that community. It's a beautiful place. It's really nice. So sorry to distract you, but that's why you got that. And you've got the outline of my sermon on the back of this. Um, Paul explains what this ministry is and the Staines family exemplify what ministry is. Ministry is living life for the Lord Jesus and like the Lord Jesus. Ministry is living life for the Lord Jesus and living life like the Lord Jesus. Look at verse chapter 4 again in your Bibles. Verse 1. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we've renounced secret and shameful ways. We don't use deception. We don't distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. The purpose of the Christian life is to do ministry. And ministry is living life for Jesus and living life as Jesus would have us live. And we saw this at the end of chapter 3, which Jono explained last week. When anyone repents of their sin and turns to the Lord Jesus, the veil blinding them to the truth of the gospel is lifted. They see the gospel plainly through the work of the Holy Spirit in their life and they see the Lord's glory by the work of the Holy Spirit in them. They begin to be transformed to be more like Jesus and because they're becoming more like Jesus, they live for others and they do his work in the world of sharing the good news about him. That's what happens when you put your trust in Jesus, you all, we all who follow Jesus have this ministry to live for him, like him, to reflect his glory from ourselves into all the world in the different places that we move and mix and work and live. Paul says in the beginning of chapter 4 here that 
Because of this, this transformation by God's grace, this mercy from God, we've been given this ministry to do. And because we have this ministry, we don't lose heart despite persecution and terrible suffering. Christians have the privilege of reflecting the glory of the Lord into the world. Only one person in the Old Testament reflected the glory of the Lord, and that was Moses. We don't lose heart with a message like this. We're encouraged. The gospel's clear. That's how Paul preaches it. And by preaching, he means tells it to others. He doesn't necessarily mean standing where I'm standing now in a pulpit with, you know. As we share the gospel with our neighbours and friends and colleagues, we preach the gospel. We tell people the facts. We share, like a newsreader just tells you the news. We, as followers of Jesus, share the good news. We tell people the, the facts. Jesus came. He lived, he performed miracles, he died, he rose again, he's coming back in judgment. This is not, this is the facts. It's not so much me trying to persuade someone to do something or believe anything, I'm just sharing the facts. This is what happened. This is what's going to happen. But some don't believe it, do they? And he tells us why in verse 3. If the facts are veiled hidden from people, it's veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they can't see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who's the image of God. If some don't understand it, it's not Paul's fault. It's not your fault. It's the God of this age. It's Satan who's blinded the minds of people so they can't understand the gospel. They can't see it. I wonder if you've been in that situation. You've been with a friend, a colleague or a neighbour and, and the subject of God, church, comes up and you see this opportunity. So you, so you tell them that you go to church, that you believe in Jesus, that you know that Jesus loves us all. He died to save those who believe. He rose again in glory. He's coming again in judgment. It's this wonderful truth. If you believe in him, you can have eternal life. You can have forgiveness of sins. Did you know this? And your friend or neighbour says, well, that's... Nice for you, it's just not for me. I wonder if you've been in that situation. I have. They can't see the truth of the glory of God. Satan presents all these alternative mistruths to the world. It's interesting that John talked about Aslan this morning, that wonderful story. Satan presents mistruths, mistruths, lies. You need to have a great career and be wealthy if you want to be happy and safe in this world. Get a great career, have lots of money and rely on that to have safety and confidence in this world. Lies, such as sexual immorality isn't that big a deal. Everyone's doing it. Pornography is harmless. It's not sexual exploitation of women. God's command to keep yourself pure sexually is really just a bit over the top. Lies. From Satan. Lies such as there are many religions and it's like all roads lead to Rome. You know, Islam, Buddhism, Scientology, Hinduism, they're all basically the same. They all talk about God. They'll all get you to heaven. I've got my religion, you've got yours, that's cool. Lies. The Bible says, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. 
Graham and Gladys Staines were Christian missionaries in India. Graham served the Lord Jesus in the jungles of Orissa for 34 years, working for, caring for, providing medication for those with leprosy. He loved them, cared for them. He brought them hope through medicine, but he brought them greater hope through the gospel. People came to him with leprosy and Hinduism and they earned, he earned their trust through Christian love and he was then able to minister the gospel to them and see God lift the veil of Hinduism from their eyes and reveal the truth about the glory of the Lord Jesus. Satan's blinded the minds of unbelievers. But what Satan has power to blind, God has far greater power to return sight through the preaching, teaching, explaining, the telling, the plain telling of the gospel. The priceless treasure that is the knowledge of the glory of God is shone in our hearts by God so that we might reflect the Lord's glory through loving deeds and plainly, plainly commending the gospel of Jesus. But God's power works in human weakness. God's power works in human weakness so the glory might go to him. This is our second point. Look at verse 7. Paul says, We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We're going to do something a little bit different this morning to try to ram home this concept that we have this treasure in this fragile little vessel. And so Hendra and Lara are going to hand out a paper cup to you. While I explain to you the use of jars of clay in the Old Testament, jars of clay were very, very, very common. There'd be dozens of them around your home. And you'd use jars of clay to store all manner of things, oil and food and spices and different bibs and bob, bits and bobs around your home. They were just a kind of cheap throwaway container for temporary use. So they, they themselves were kind of worthless. But what was inside the jar was the real treasure. And I think a modern equivalent of jars of clay is paper cups. Something that we store in temporarily, something in it temporarily, and then we just toss it away. It itself is pretty much worthless. But later on, during morning tea, on this cold morning, there'll be a treasure within <laughs> the paper cup that I'm looking forward to already. The concept that God works powerfully through human weakness is a real theme of this letter. God stores his greatest treasure, his most precious treasure, the good news about his son, inside us, us weak vessels. Could you imagine, particularly those for, who have married or been married, can you imagine that diamond ring that you had uh, perhaps on your finger, imagine storing it in this paper cup that's in your hand, and that's kind of where you keep it. Oh, where do you keep your diamond ring? In, in, a, in a paper cup, of course. What? Um, how foolish to store something so precious in a paper cup. But what is foolishness to the world is the wisdom of God. 
How foolish to keep this precious treasure in us weak human beings. But this is, this is God's wisdom that we sang about. Wasn't that great? Paul says in chapter 1 that he was so badly persecuted, he despaired even of life itself. Paul had it really hard. Like Paul had every reason to give up. He really did. To throw it away. Why am I doing this? I'm being beaten and whipped. But we learn in verse 7, this is a huge verse, verse 7. We learn in verse 7, there's a band called Jars of Clay. We learn in verse 7 that's at our weakest that God works most powerfully. It's at our weakest that God works most powerfully. Paul will remind us again later in chapter 12. Jesus is quoted by Paul as saying, My grace is sufficient for you, my power, for my power is made perfect in weakness. God's power works most powerfully in human lives when we humbly and willingly submit to his rule over our lives, when we submit ourselves, when we admit we're weak, when we let him work through us. It's hard to do. I don't like to feel weak. I like to feel strong and on top of my game all the time. But God works in our weakness. We see this willing and humble submission to God most clearly at the cross. Jesus humbled himself before God. There's no greater picture of human weakness than a man who was whipped and beaten and spat on and mocked and nailed to the cross. If you read the Mark drama, it was, it was a very moving moment as Jesus, as James, was not actually nailed, but you know, acted, being nailed to the cross, it was very moving and then was raised up and the, the lights went off, it was dark. And if you missed the Mark drama, we'll do it again in a couple of years. So don't miss it then. It's on the cross that Jesus appears to be at his weakest. But it's on the cross that Jesus bears upon his mighty shoulders the sin of the entire world, past, present and future. And three days later, this humble man, this almighty God, raises to new life, conquering death itself. We work so hard through modern medicine to conquer death, organ transplants, cancer research, brain surgery, heart surgery, vaccines, all in the name of defeating death, and rightly so. Death is our great enemy. But for all our ingenuity, we can only delay death a bit. We can only push it back a bit, if, you know, at best, unless we put our trust in the death conqueror who conquered death 2,000 years ago when he rose from the grave. We conquer death when we trust in him. Through his humility and weakness, through our humility and weakness before him, God works powerfully to bring others to himself. Paul knows his own weakness. Look at verse 8 and 9. But as I read, notice that he also knows that God works powerfully through his weakness. We're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so the life of Jesus, 
may also be revealed in our body. Paul knows hardship and suffering in Jesus' name. In chapter 11, verse 23, it's on the screen. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. And the list goes on and on and on. Paul knows suffering as many of you do too. You know what it means to be rejected for your faith at school or at work, to be mocked, ridiculed, maybe even called names. You're hard-pressed for Jesus. We're bombarded by materialism, by alcohol abuse being normalised, sexual immorality being normalised in the media, in our peer groups. You can't watch TV without seeing a half-naked woman trying to sell Tic Tacs or a homosexual couple who's trying to sell broadband. Sexual immorality is normalised in our world. It's okay. You can't sit down to a game of footy without feeling guilty because you don't gamble. I'm sorry, sports bet. I just I, I don't want to do it. You get invited to a friend's place for, for a barbecue. You might go thirsty if you don't drink alcohol because that's just part of our culture. We all drink alcohol all the time. That's what we do. It's normalised. It's perplexing. For Christians, you painfully question God as to why your beloved family member won't trust the Lord Jesus. You endure difficult conversations. You almost feel a need to apologise for your faith. You can feel struck down. There are many ways in which we suffer for Jesus that no one else even knows, but God knows. It seems clear that when hard-pressed, when perplexed, when persecuted, when struck down, Paul turns to God in faith and prayer and he knows that God answers him. God knows and God cares. Paul's labouring and suffering are for the Lord and the Corinthians. It's for Jesus that he suffers. That's why he writes he carries the death of Jesus in his body. He suffers because Jesus died for him. But he also suffers to bring the Corinthian church life. He suffers for others. Our suffering, friends, can actually bring life to others. Life to others. Christians forego life's small pleasures. We don't give ourselves everything we want. Rather, we minister the gospel in any way we can for the sake of the lost. We shine the light of the gospel into dark places even though it's hard or we might be persecuted or ridiculed for it. We do it to bring people life who are perishing. What a blessing to be a life giver. Why do we do it? Do we just enjoy suffering? No. Look at verse 14. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit, Corinthians, so the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. What a great ministry we have. We've been given the ministry of saving people's lives. Is there any greater thing to do with your life? As I mentioned earlier, Graham and Gladys Staines loved Jesus so much they were willing to forego all of life's pleasures and cut themselves off from all their family, save for their kids, and go to India. They had three kids in India. They enjoyed, endured enormous persecution from Hindus that were convinced the missionaries are there to coerce people 
into Christianity. And on the night of the 22nd of January, 1999, while Graham and his 11-year-old son Philip and six-year-old son Timothy slept in the family station wagon to escape the cold, they were away from home. They were attacked and burned to death for their faith in Jesus. They were murdered for Jesus. When Gladys heard that her husband and two sons were dead, she told Esther, her daughter, we'll forgive those who killed them, won't we? And Esther said, yes, mummy, we will. Andy Chu, a Christian pastor in Los Angeles, who met Gladys and Esther the next year at a conference in L.A., He wrote this on the screen. The response of Gladys and Esther was on the front page of every newspaper in India with one billion people soon to pass China as the most populous nation on earth. Gladys said, I have only one message for the people of India. I'm not bitter, neither am I angry, but I have one great desire, that each citizen of this country should establish a personal relationship with Jesus Christ who gave his life for their sins. Let us burn hatred and spread the flame of Christ's love. Gladys shocked nearly everyone because people assumed she and Esther would move back to Australia or someone else in the West, but she said no. God had called them to India and she would not leave. My husband and our children have sacrificed their lives for this nation. India is my home. I hope to be here and continue to serve the needy. When asked how she felt about the murder of her dad, Esther, as a 13-year-old, said, I praise the Lord that he found my father worthy to die for him. (sighs) I have a 13-year-old, so I just find that very moving. The Staines ministered the gospel and suffered in Jesus' name so that they might shine the light of the gospel into the lives of Indians destined for death. Graham and his sons died in 1999, and in the year 2000, the Indian Gospel League pledged to plant 100,000 Christian churches throughout India in 20 years. It was a big undertaking. They didn't quite get there. They planted 90,000 churches in the last 22 years. Extraordinary. God's grace is reaching more and more people in India and causing thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. God works powerfully through those who are weak. You may feel weak. You may feel struck down. Take heart in the good news of the gospel that is kept inside you. Like a diamond ring in a paper cup. The Stains aren't superheroes. They've got a heavenly perspective. Getting getting to heaven in one piece and taking as many people as you can with you is the greatest goal in life. If you trust in Jesus, though you may feel weak, though you may be persecuted, though you may feel as strong and mighty as a paper cup, you carry a very great treasure inside you. 
by God's Spirit within you, he's able to shine the light of the glory into the lives of those around you who are perishing. As we humbly submit our lives to his will, God works powerfully in the lives of others to bring them to himself. After Gladys spoke at the conference, an Indian national leader stood up and said, the impact made by the response of Gladys and Esther has been amazingly powerful with many Hindus coming to Christ because of their witness, because they spoke the gospel. The people of India have looked at this situation and they've asked, why would a man leave his wealthy country and serve lepers in India for 34 years? Why would his wife and daughter completely forgive the killers of their family and return? Why would they choose to stay and serve the poor? Who is this God they believe in? Could it be that all we've been told about Christians has, it, has been lies? Could it be that Jesus really is the truth? The people of India are seeing, he said, embodied in the stains, an otherworldly perspective and strength in Christ that stands in stark contrast to the dark, fatalistic and impersonal gods of Hinduism. I look forward to meeting Graham, Timothy and Philip in the world for which we were made, the one to come, the one made for those who trust in Jesus. And if I get there before Gladys and Esther do, I'm putting in a request to see the reunion between Gladys and Esther and the men and their family. Because what a sight that will be. What a joy it will be for Gladys and Graham and Esther and Timothy and Philip to stand there in the life to come, surrounded by hundreds, maybe thousands of Indians who suffered with leprosy, who were trapped in Hinduism, were freed by the ministry of the Stains and the work of Jesus. What a joy it will be for the Stains to stand there for all eternity with these people who they shared the glory of the Lord with, humbly, weakly, imperfectly, and powerfully because it was by the work of the Holy Spirit. Friends, we have the same treasure. The stains aren't superheroes. God is. We have the same treasure inside of us to share. And God can do immeasurably more than we can ever hope or imagine through us if we humbly submit ourselves to his will and allow his light and glory to shine through us into the world around us. Let me pray. Loving Father and Almighty God, we thank you for the wonderful, wonderful treasure that is the truth that Jesus died and rose again, that he's prepared a place for those who believe. Lord, we all feel weak at different times, perplexed, struck down, confused. We ask and pray that you'll work in us mightily, that we'll entrust ourselves to you, that you will use us weak vessels, us paper cups, us jars of clay for your glory. Help us to reflect your glory in the way we meet and speak and love other people. Use us mightily, Lord, to see many come to faith and repentance in Christ, that you may be honoured. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.